Steve. So friends, we are continuing in our series, our Easter series on the resurrection and what that means um, for for our lives, it, what it means for our theology. And so we have been looking at some, um, some accounts throughout the New Testament about talk about the resurrection and, and how that plays into things. So Steve, why don't you tell us where we're headed to this week? Sure. Well, um, just to remind folks, we had said once upon a time we were going to try and work our way backwards through the Bible with this theme, with the idea of new creation. Mm-hmm. So working backwards from where we spent time in uh, Revelation, uh, we're going to go to one of Paul's letters, uh, 1 Corinthians. And um, in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to spend some time. The whole chapter, as we have it with chapters in our Bibles, is about resurrection. And Paul mm-hmm. sort of starts by making his case for uh, why he believes that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Uh, we'll sort of summarize that as he's risen and he's appeared to a bunch of people. Uh, and then Paul uses that as a launching board for, well, if Jesus is risen, then clearly resurrection can be a thing, because there are apparently some folks who are like, well, there's no resurrection, that that's it, you're dead, you're dead. And then Paul said, well, wait a second, what about if Jesus is risen, there has to be a resurrection. Uh, and then that opens up the can of worms that clearly Paul can anticipate what his readers are going to be asking of, okay, well, tell me about this, how this resurrection thing works, because um, if I my body uh, dies and then wears out and then is buried somewhere, how am I going to be raised? What is that going to be like? So he launches into this uh, final part of the chapter that where he tries to sort of wrap his brain around uh, how what this new creation thing is like that somehow will be us, but will be resurrected bodies, and and he sort of. In some points, it's helpful. In some points, he's just reaching for. I don't have good words to explain how this works, right? Yeah, and I think that this is probably a common question that people wrestle with throughout history of what does this resurrected life look like? Um, Because I think a current question that I have heard Christians wrestle with is when we die, do we bury our bodies or do we be cremated? Mm -hmm. And if we are cremated, do we miss out on the resurrection because we no longer have a body? But that being said... If your body naturally completely decomposes before the resurrection happens, same question. Do you just right. completely miss out on the resurrection? Right. And maybe this is a point for us to stop and back up a second to be clear about when the, the New Testament writers talk about resurrection, they mean that there's some sense of the physicality of us gets continued and that mm-hmm. there's some new sense in which we are beings that that wasn't a mistake of God's. And I think sometimes Christianity over the centuries has sometimes erred into sort of a sloppy, you just sort of become a floating disembodied head somewhere. Mm-hmm. And lots of bad theologies and terrible mm-hmm. jokes sort of hang on the idea we go up and float on clouds and play harps. And that's not resurrection. I mean, the, the, the Greek philosophers like Plato imagine that your soul sort of floats away somewhere. And resurrection Resurrection is different. It's saying that God didn't make a mistake in making us beings that have a mind but also have the physicality to us and can experience the world in a, in a, in a sense-driven way. We can smell rain. We can taste peaches. We can you know, uh, feel the, the cool water of the ocean waves on our feet. These are not mistakes of God, but this is a good thing. And that that's part of the, the challenge is, is if, if it were just when you die, the soul part of you floats up somewhere else, and who cares what happened to your body? But if we believe that resurrection means that somehow the unis of you and the meanness of me and our physicality is held on to, yeah, yeah what does that mean for our, our bodies? And, and yet, for centuries, they were feeding us to lions, and uh, 
the, the early church wrestled with, well, yeah, how's the resurrection going to happen if the Romans fed you to a lion and part of your arm went into the lion and part of your leg went into another lion? And the early church sort of had to wrestle with, oh, well, I guess if God can deal with that, if God can raise us up that way, maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe we can chalk this one up to God can get, God's got this covered. God's got a way of making us whole again or making us ourselves even with new kind of bodies. Mm-hmm. In, in a way, I almost think like uh, our awareness in... Modern science even pushes this further, like mm-hmm. m- maybe in a way that that ancient peoples wouldn't have thought about. But like the molecules that make me up are constantly changing. You know, I mean, like the the, the yeah. carbon that becomes the the cells in my body are here today, but then you know, skin cells flake off, and new mm-hmm. when I eat new food, that becomes a new part of me. And so the molecules are constantly changing. Every breath I take, the oxygen comes in and goes into all my cells, and something from my cells goes out. That's an all the time thing. So the idea that there's a single fixed point in time that my body is—that's how my body is. That's never true for us. There's something about being embodied that is, something is continuous, but also constantly changing. So whatever resurrection means, it seems to be that God can manage where to come up with the carbon molecules to make me, me. Um, But that when the early church talked about resurrection, it wasn't just saying that when you die, some part of you called a soul floats up to heaven and you stay up on a cloud forever. There is some sense of God making a new creation in which... At some point, resurrection means new kinds of bodies. Now, Paul spends a good chunk of this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 trying to describe how it's different and that somehow it's not subject to the weaknesses that the bodies that we live in now inhabit. So, like, what we talked about Revelation a couple episodes ago and this idea of no more death and crying and mourning and pain. Well, to some degree, those things seem to be hardwired into the way bodies as, as we perceive them now exist. You know, if I trip and fall on the sidewalk... The rules of physics and my nerves mean I'm going to feel pain because I trip because I'm a klutz. So somehow the new creation will hold on to physicality, and yet death isn't a part of the picture anymore. Yeah, and I think another question that I think we could raise, but that wouldn't have necessarily occurred to Paul, yeah. is the question of when the resurrection happens and when we are... You know, that, that moment, I don't really know how to best describe this, but that we are a resurrected new body. It's still my body, but it's yeah. somehow made new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had a back injury and I was paralyzed mm-hmm. when I died, will I still be paralyzed or will I be made completely new again? Mm-hmm. But what if whatever happened to me, say, for example, I was born blind or deaf, in this new body, new creation that God has created me into, would I be, would I have hearing? Would I have sight? Especially if in my lifetime I never saw those as limitations. I never saw Uh that as being less than. Like, I think that those are questions that are also being wrestled by theologians today Uh who deal with those kinds of questions. Because I think for Paul, he definitely would have been all like, I am sure you would have sight because in his society, those would be huge limitations. But in today's world, mm-hmm. not necessarily. Right. And and that idea that the things that we have come through um, make mm-hmm. us who we are. And so if mm-hmm. part of the idea of resurrection is that God holds on to the particularity of each of us, that God loves us not just in the abstract but mm-hmm. loves the details of what makes me me, yeah, all the stuff that's been a, a part of my physical life is, is a part of what shapes me. So whether that's uh, how, how tall or short or how heavy or light I am or the color of skin, I mean, all those are part of what make me up. And so in some sense, 
it seems like the, the idea of resurrection is that God somehow holds on to the particularity, and yet somehow we're renewed in some way that there's a there's there's something new about the, these selves of ours. It, mm-hmm. To me, it seems helpful maybe to talk about the way the in the resurrection appearances. Jesus shows up. They don't always recognize him as Jesus, mm-hmm. but he always has the scars. That what he's mm-hmm. come through doesn't go away. And I think that seems to be telling. That somehow, whatever it is to be resurrected from the dead, the stuff we've come through doesn't get erased or forgotten, but somehow it gets transformed. I think for me, that's such good news. Because mm-hmm. I no, lo- no longer have a gallbladder. I don't particularly want a gallbladder <laughs> anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think of a professor of mine from seminary, uh, I remember him giving a lecture one time about a passage from Isaiah. I forget what it was all about, but it, it kind of turned into the resurrection. And he was talking about his son who has Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, and just saying, like, you know, if his when his son dies someday and goes to heaven, you know, if, if that's taken away from him, if that's something that's in our world seen as a disability, if that's taken away from him, then that's no longer his son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just wondering how that, you know, because even blindness and deafness, we still, while the, the individual might not see that as, you know, something that's stopping them, especially if they were born that way and have always dealt with it. But, you know, I, it's, it's something that's really made me have to rethink mm-hmm. what resurrection means to me. And I, and I can't help but wonder if, and, I, and I, this might just be my own hope, is that our wishes and our own self-identity comes into play. Mm-hmm. Because um, I have very poor eyesight. Mm-hmm. I am unlikely, hopefully, knock on wood, never going to be completely blind or be legally blind. But at the same time, if I take off my glasses, I wouldn't be able to drive. I, You guys would just be blurs in front of me. Mm-hmm. It is my hope that in the resurrection, in this new life, that I'll have better eyesight. Because <laughs> I don't particularly like my eyesight. Mm-hmm. But again, that's that's not... that 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 is my own wish and my own hope. Mm-hmm. It's my identity does not rest in any way on my eyesight other than I've always worn glasses, mm-hmm. or I've worn glasses most of my life. But, so, you know, I think that's that might be different than possibly somebody who was born blind, and mm-hmm. for them that's all of the life that they've ever yeah. known. Mm-hmm. They might not wish to have eyesight. Um, but I, I guess I, my hope is that our own wishes and hopes and how we identify ourselves is taken into account, but... This is one of those places where I think it's interesting when Paul gets to talking about this. I mean, like, we could speculate endlessly on how we could imagine it being, and, mm-hmm. and when Paul gets to talking about it, he it, it's interesting to me how far he goes and where he just sort of stops and goes, like, at this point, my words don't work anymore. So, like, Paul will say, well, obviously, in this life, we have physical bodies, and then, in the resurrection, we'll have spiritual bodies. And he sort of, like, dusts off his hand, like, doesn't that solve it? And we're like, mm-hmm. well, tell us about these spiritual bodies. And he goes, well, you know, they're just a different kind, just like, you know, um, the the seed goes in the ground and it dies and then it comes up and it's a totally new thing and yet it's still it was wheat before and it's wheat when it comes up but it's a totally different kind of thing and yet it's the same and he sort of leaves that like isn't that enough of an answer and I get it there's a piece of me that's like okay I, I can I can understand how there's continuity it's a grain of wheat you put it in the ground it dies and becomes a wheat plant even though that it looked totally different it's somehow still the same thing I can get that idea and at the same point that doesn't answer my question at all about will I have glasses in heaven or will my hair be the same color or you know any of those things um, and it, I guess it seems like to me Paul is trying to hold on to the idea that 
physicality isn't a mistake. That it's not mm-hmm. like the idea of having bodies is, is a problem and the idea is to be freed from these terrible mortal physical thing. No. And at the same time, that there are limitations about this this life that God won't let us be bound by anymore. And at the same time, you need a bunch of hands to juggle all these points. God holds on to the particularity of us. Mm-hmm. That that somehow, and like this is the question that gets asked uh, in, in circles I'm around a lot. Like, how will I recognize so-and-so in heaven? And you've known people through all different eras of your life. Well, they see old you or young you or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I, sometimes yeah. you'll even hear people be like, well, Jesus died at 33. That must be the ideal age. We'll all be 33 in heaven. And I've heard people say this. And I, I, other than, yeah, okay, Jesus was probably in his 30s at the time of the cross. That doesn't seem like a, a it seems like a leap to say, so we'll all be that age. Mm-hmm. Um, but there does seem to be some sense of a promise of we'll know each other. Uh, and yet at the same time, how's that going to work out? Because there are people who I knew in kindergarten who wouldn't recognize me now, and I hope there are people I haven't met yet who will know me only in old version me, um, God willing, and, and they wouldn't recognize this version of me. So mm-hmm. like, th- Somehow it seems like Paul's trying to get at that, that the, the continuity is there, and yet it, it's, not te- it's not tethered to a single moment of our life, just like the molecules that make me me are changing all the time. Maybe it would be helpful for us to hear a, a little bit of time, uh, a, a little bit of what Paul actually says here in, in 1 Corinthians 15. We've done a lovely job talking around it. Um, but I'm wondering whether it would be helpful to talk about, like in verses 35 and following, um, and uh, Paul sort of finally comes to ask the question, uh, someone will ask, how are the dead raised with? What kind of body do they come? Fool? <laughs> I just love this, like his Mr. T moment. Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there's one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is one thing and of the earthly is another. And he goes on to say, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a physical body and raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, then there is also a spiritual body. So it, that seems to be the move he's trying to make, that just like a, a seed is, is, a, is a sunflower seed when I planted it and it grew up to be a sunflower, they don't look alike, but it's the same thing somehow, that something like that is, is how he sees this new creation. One of the things I think is interesting here... And this may be a thing that we come back to and that maybe we began to uh, explore or, or start to, to pick at in Revelation is how even though there's an idea of the new creation being like whatever the first creation is, that in mm-hmm. some ways it goes beyond that, even in ways that we would say are unnatural now. So we don't know a world in which there's no such thing as death or pain. In fact, our lives are dependent on other things dying. Mm-hmm. My lunch de- depended on chicken somewhere dying today, and my dinner will probably it, require some other thing to have died, even if we're talking about plants, um, yep. that our, our whole lives are, are built on an engine of other things dying so that we can live. And so to imagine a world that isn't fueled by the engine of death, I don't know how to imagine what that will be like. It would sound unnatural to mm-hmm. me, and yet at the same time, that's exactly what the scriptures would envision. This, it's a new creation where death isn't the engine that runs everything. Um, and that means saying that part of our hope is for something that isn't natural. I mean, like, I know that's a little bit weird to say, and I don't mean unnatural in the sense of, like, high fructose corn syrup is unnatural, or fluorescent green is an unnatural color. But I mean, like, 
I think it's important. Like it, it can be really, really tempting for us to decide what's good or bad by oh, well, this is how natural. This is what nature is. It, it comes from nature. It must be good. And some things in nature <laughs> are not good. And some things we're taught to hope for about this promised future don't line up with how nature works right now. Later, mm-hmm. when we spend time in, in Isaiah, and you get this imagery of animals laying down a lot, and lions and lambs and wolves and cows and all this, that's unnatural. That's mm-hmm. not how the order of things is now. And yet, God's vision is a new kind of creation where those old protocols are done away with. Um, and he begins to sort of like nod at that here in, in 1 Corinthians. There's that same idea of the new creation will be like this one, but there's some things that aren't, that, that it doesn't function the way what we're used to is what natural looks like now. And I think that new creation, like we, we speak a lot in metaphor, yeah. Um, especially for things that we don't completely understand. And I think that this new creation is like that. Mm-hmm. We can't understand it because, like you said, Steve, like there, if this new creation, this new world, this new way of being doesn't have death in it, I can't imagine eating. Like, right. Like you're right. Like mm-hmm. everything we, mm-hmm. yeah. we eat, whether it's animal products or plant products like it all or whatever twinkies are made of (laughs) right exactly it all has come from something which was once living and is now dead but yet one of the metaphors for this new creation is the eternal feast yep Mm -hmm. what does an eternal feast look like without any of the foods that i love to eat right right like what does that food look like if there's been no death to produce (laughs) the feast but that's not what the eternal feast is trying to get at. Exactly. I think that's important. The there. eternal feast is trying to, like, you know, that, that feeling that, like, I am filled. I've eaten all of these good mm-hmm. things. Um, you know, good food, good people, whatever yeah. that, like, you know, let's eat thing is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I am there with all of my family and friends, and we are celebrating, and we are joyful and happy and healthy that's what the eternal feast is supposed to evoke not this you know right. nothing absolutely nothing on this table has died for us <laughs> right whether it's um, a carrot or a chicken but I, I, i've got a couple of thoughts that have come to mind f- through this conversation i'm thinking back to the garden of eden and before adam and eve sinned before god created the clothing for them out of the skins of animals and they were allowed to eat meat i mean mm-hmm. even then Something had to die for them to eat. You know, there was plant life. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe because, you know, that life does not have a soul like ours does, that's, mm-hmm. there's a difference there. But also I'm thinking, you know, when Jesus talks about being the living water and the bread of life and being with him and, you know, and, as Revelation talks about, you know, he is, he is a light. There will be no need for a son because mm-hmm. of his light. You know, will that eternal feast, like you were saying, Sarah, about being just so full Will that just come naturally because you know we were we were drinking and eating mm-hmm. from the the living water and the bread of life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it, you know. And I, I think like we're trending in the same direction of saying like if we if we spend a lot of time in our biblical study trying to focus on what is the menu that we eat in heaven all the time, <laughs> nope, we're missing the point. <laughs> but the idea is to say. Whatever whatever comes to mind when you picture a really good feast, that you're, it's a safe place, it's around people mm-hmm. who you care about, it's a joyful, it's a celebration time, and there's a sense of contentment and satisfaction, and how much more that would have hit in a time when the when those exactly. images were first written, when everybody's you know just living hand to mouth, you mm-hmm. know that that we who live with you know so much abundance it spoils on our refrigerators, and we have to throw out last week's leftovers before putting in this week's leftovers sometimes. Um, 
that there's 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 something powerful about that image mm-hmm. and the scripture don't dwell on and that means that in heaven Tuesday is tater tot day and Wednesday is mashed potato day and then we have barbecue no like no that's not how it works that's not the point you're missing the focus mm-hmm. and yeah I think I think that idea of letting the metaphor mean what it's supposed to mean without getting into the nitty gritty too I think that that's an, and I think maybe that's the wisdom of where Paul goes that he, he uses a metaphor to say well you know the difference between this body and the new creation body is like a grain of wheat and the stalk of wheat they're both the same thing but how what does that look like for the new creation he doesn't spend the time to explain it he, he doesn't try to even delve into what we eat and how we live and what we breathe and all that kind of, nope it's just it'll be will be the same and yet will be transformed yeah. In the meantime, we just have this hope right. that the resurrection it is coming, and that is going to be a new thing that mm-hmm. we don't know exactly what it means, but we have the hope that it's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, this chapter in First Corinthians has one of my favorite committal service for funerals yeah. in it. Um, I try to in, throw it in every single time I do a graveside service. Um, even though I'm always afraid that I'm going to mispronounce one of the words, instead of saying in, immortal or immortality, I'll say um, immorality. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's always, like, a scary mm-hmm. moment for me. But it's, you know, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body mm-hmm. must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to our God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Preach it. <laughs> One of the things I really, really like, I think is important in that passage, is um, the idea that Paul talks about change and it's not a scary thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so much of mm-hmm. our culture's mm-hmm. life, and to be very honest, a lot of religious life is profoundly anti-change because anything, if, 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 you're, if you're changing it must be wrong. We had it right before and, and just hold on to it the way it is. And that Paul says, no... The, the, the way God made us, mm-hmm. creation is good, we messed it up, but, we, but good, but the hope isn't, if only we could get back to this perfect state before, no, God's going to make a new creation and we'll be changed, and it'll be something like I've never been, and yet at the same time it will be still profoundly at home. The way we talk about home in the end of Revelation in the same way, mm-hmm. that how, how is it that going to a new heaven and a new earth is going to feel like home? Okay, except that that's the promise, is that it'll be at home because God is there. Um, and similarly, how, how will it be my body if it's a new one? Well, it'll be, still be me, and yet somehow I don't have to be afraid of change. And, and at the same time that Paul doesn't use this to rag on physical bodies or say it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. I mean, this is the same Paul who early in the, earlier in this letter will say, don't you know the Holy Spirit dwells in your body and your body is a temple of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit and sort of talks about the importance of taking care of the physicality of us. And there were times in church history where um, splinter groups that eventually became uh, heretical sects would say things like, it doesn't matter what you do to your body because after all, it's just a physical shell and what's really important is your soul that floats away. So who cares? Cares how you treat your body. Who cares how you treat other bodies? They're all just objects for your gratification. Who cares? Mm-hmm. And the, the the New Testament witnesses, even though there's this promise of new creation, new body, and all that business, nobody ever says. So who cares what you do with yourself right now? It doesn't matter how you take care of yourself or other people's bodies. But no, it, it matters. 
and at the same time there's this promise of change. And maybe both of those are words that are important but difficult for modern-day 21st century Christians to hear because we aren't good at dealing with change or hearing it as a positive thing. We're Mm -hmm. often so scared. Um, And here's Paul saying change is coming and it's a good thing. It's not something to run from and it's not the opposite of what God wants. God is the one bringing the change. This is maybe our chance, too, for that really, really old joke, too, about how the... That verse you read earlier um, that uh, in an earlier translation says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, is a sign that should go in front of every church nursery. <laughs> Get it? Uh, uh, anyway. Bad, bad that's, joke. That's too close to home there. Sorry, sorry. Well... It, it, now, not to get too lost in the translation uh, weeds here, but um, as you read it a moment ago, uh, Sarah from the uh, NRSV says, we will not all die, which is the gist of what Paul is saying. But it's interesting, the the literal Greek of what Paul says, he regularly uses the word sleep for death, mm-hmm. and he means it to say that the early church had this confident hope that because of resurrection, even death was like sleep that you could be awakened from in the resurrection. And so that... Yeah. It, it wasn't something that was to be avoided at all costs with fear of, oh, no, but like, yep, death death is this reality. It's part mm-hmm. of life. But for us, who have this hope in Christ of resurrection, it becomes like, like sleep. So it's not something mm-hmm. to be uh, afraid of exactly. Um, we can grieve, and yet at the same time, like Paul will say elsewhere, we don't grieve the same way that others do. We, mm-hmm. we don't grieve as though we have no hope. And so regularly throughout the New Testament, when Paul talks about death, he'll talk about those who have fallen asleep. And he means people who have died, but it's his way of saying, you know, sleep is something you wake up from. And God's mm-hmm. made this promise so God will wake us up again into the new creation. And and maybe, I think this is an image I read once in a C.S. Lewis passage. I've seen a bunch of people use a metaphor like this. But the idea is, it's sort of like um, when you fall asleep uh, on the couch or, or uh, like when my kids fall asleep in the car and we carry them and we take them and lay them in their bed and when they wake up in the morning and they're in their pajamas and they're like, how did this happen? And like in a sense, there, there's something like that, mm-hmm. that like a whole bunch of other stuff might have changed in the meantime and they went to, they, they fell asleep in the car in their clothes and jeans and tennis shoes and they wake up under blankets and in their pajamas, and they don't know how it happened, but mm, I know how it happened. Um, the, in some ways, it's something like that, this idea mm-hmm. of uh, it's, it's still them, and yet there's this change that's happened in the meantime. So, maybe we haven't said a whole lot that's real definitive about what the new creation is like for our bodies, <laughs> but maybe that's just being biblical in this case. That if there, if there are solid points we can stick with, it's... When the new creation comes to talk, when it comes to talking about the new creation and our bodies, there's number one: bodies are not a mistake, and the physicality mm-hmm. of life isn't a mistake, and it's to be enjoyed and savored, and that's a good thing of God's. And the new creation is somehow beyond or more or different, and the change isn't something to be afraid of. And at the same time, God holds on to the particularity of us somehow, so that one day in glory we'll, we'll meet again, maybe around a microphone, and uh, we'll recognize each other, um, even if we don't look like we do in this moment. And also that there is hope. Yeah. That this is a message of hope from St. Paul. Yeah. Who was regularly under threat of having his life taken from him when yes. he was writing his letters. Yeah, yeah. Well, that may be enough hope to hold us to keep going until next time. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch up next time. See you later. Bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.